I think it's just loving your work family and everything you've created because you've created it with people that you really care about and consider more than just employees, I think is a big part of it. Just be excited to go to work, see like my girls, my team. That helps, you know, make this all so much more exciting than it could potentially feel like if you're just doing it alone, mm-hmm. right? And then just my my immediate family. I, it sounds so boring, right? But just no. people. I think people are my biggest active ingredient in those relationships that I hold very dearly. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Cindy Ramirez. Cindy is the founder and CEO of Chill House, which is a destination for modern self-care. Chill House was born when Cindy and her husband, Adam, were looking to get massages one day, and there were two options, to either get a ridiculously expensive massage and break the bank, or get a massage at a very questionable establishment where the ambiance was less than exciting. They realized that there was a huge gap in the market and a demand for what would soon become Chill House. Chill House, which currently has two locations in New York, offers a new age spa offering like facials, massages, nails, and pedicure services alongside a wellness cafe. And guys, I am obsessed with one of their lattes called the Chill Me Out. It's very close to my office and I I go way too often, but if you're in New York, definitely go check it out. On today's episode, we talk about what Cindy was like as a kid, how she dropped out of college, We get into her background in hospitality and her first businesses and side jobs, what it's like to go into business with your husband or partner, and how they establish boundaries, how she leveraged her first blog to network and connect with people who have now been integral to the success of Chill House, and what her hope is with the next phase of the company. So with that, let's get into today's episode with Cindy Ramirez. All right, so we are here with Cindy Ramirez, the founder and CEO of Chill House. So I always like to start the podcast asking people what they were like as a kid. And also I'm interested in your background specifically because of your mom's background Mm -hmm. and kind of get a sense of if you think that how you were as a young little girl is kind of relevant to how you are now. Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, What was I like as a little girl? I was definitely curious. I was definitely like always kind of around my mom's business. And she would say that I would like always interact with the clients and that I would just like ask them about their nail color and like was always very like chatty and social with like older, Mm -hmm. her old, her clientele, which was like in her 30s, in their 30s at the time. So it's just funny. Pretty confident. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say I definitely had a lot of outgoingness in me when I was young. Um, And it definitely trickled in a little later. However, there were points in my life where I became a little reserved and a little shy or a little like had a lot of self-doubt. So, From what do you think? I don't know. I think probably like family trauma in some capacity. Who knows? That's why I like to ask people what they were like as a kid because I feel like once you like get through that messy middle period and like Mm -hmm. we might still be in a little bit of that messy middle period. I just feel like a lot of the times when people have found their active ingredient, they're kind of in some way, at least from the people that that I have recorded with, kind of like revert back to Mm -hmm. what they're like natural state was. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's interesting. So you would say like family stuff? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I was just a fun, young, like young, young, young girl. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I became kind of isolated. Maybe it's like, as I went through like an awkward phase Mm -hmm. that I just didn't feel good in my skin. You know, I, I had glasses at one point. Oh my God, I was bow legged or I still kind of am a little bow legged. So at one point I had to have like those, the boots. Yeah. I had them too. Podiatry. Yeah. 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 Were they black? Yeah. I had them too. 
Okay, so I'm not the only nerd. I remember. No, no, no. I was literally such a nerd. I remember standing on top of the doctor's desk with my mom next to me and him literally like standing like a little girl on his desk yeah. and him being like, sorry, you have to wear these weird shoes. Right. I totally That's, forgot about that. And so you just said that. Like I had absolutely no recollection. I'm so happy to know it wasn't just me, but I felt like such a weirdo, like walking around in these bulky boots that were definitely not cool or chic. I feel like now they would be. They're I think in, that they're, they're probably the style. exact same ones. Did they have like the line down the middle? And two? I don't remember that. Okay. I, they just I totally like forgot black. about this phase of my life until you just said this, by the way. So funny. So, So, yeah, I think I definitely went through a little bit of an awkward phase and I didn't feel good about myself. And then, you know, that kind of confidence came back at some point um, in my early teens, you know, when I was surrounded with like friends that really like made me feel good and brought me up, that kind of thing. Um, And then at one point around 12, I believe um, I started modeling. So that definitely also kind of helped my self-esteem, but in a weird way, it also kind of didn't help with my self-esteem. I I always like to think that I'm so strong for coming out of that whole experience alive and healthy and with a healthy sound mind because 12 is young and 12 when you're also like kind of sure you're not like you're in it. I was with Ford, so I was with a well-represented agency, but I wasn't like the, I wasn't crushing it, you know. I was getting like good jobs here and there, you know. Was how like, did that even happen? Like, did you want it, or did the opportunity come to you, or how? Yeah, my mom uh, became friends with the photographer that shot like most of the kids for for Ford and a lot of the other agencies. So it was just like a random connection that we had amongst our family. Um, and I had like good friends that were also with Ford when they were little as well. So yeah, I and then, you know, that whole experience kind of trickled into my teens and even into my early 20s. I became a commercial actor at one point and then I started um, experience, like experimenting with other kind of, you know, acting kind of capabilities. Mm-hmm. I would go to acting classes, improv, soap. Like I did a soap opera at one point. I did like really random stuff when I was young. What was it about all those things that excited you? I just always had a little bit of like, I like the attention in me. Uh Like I I, I have a little bit of that personality in me for sure. Um, Not always. I feel like I kind of go in and out, Mm -hmm. um, go through phases. Some phases I'm like all about it. Other times I just want to like hide and not be the center of attention. But for the most part, I, you know, kind of going back to my childhood, I was like, like to kind of be the center of attention, my mom's like little space. Yeah. Right. And like, I, that's like deeply in you. Yeah. For sure. But then I also reverted back at some point mm-hmm. in my, you know, early childhood too, where I felt insecure. So I have this kind of like confidence, but then also withdrawal at times. Um, and that's still in me, I'd say. Cause I feel like entrepreneurs also have that that kind of common denominator, I would say. Well, for sure. And you I have think, to have confidence in order to really But go also, your, your most dreams, entrepreneurs right? also do have that <clears throat> self-doubt. And of I course. think that that's what also gets them to get to the next level. Because yep. if you're in battle with yourself, like you're constantly going to be trying to one-up yourself. You know what totally, I mean? Totally. Totally. Yeah. So you did not go to college, I believe. I did, but I dropped out. <laughs> okay. So what was the thought process behind that? Um, I've just never been good with authority. I think that's what it really boils down to. <laughs> I relate to you so much. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. I mean, I've always been friendly with teachers and all that. I just think I've always kind of like rebelled against the the societal, what society mm-hmm. expects out of, you know, young humans. And I've never really identified with school life as a whole. Even when I was little, I like would try to get out of going to school all the time. I had a phobia because I had a phobia of vomit, which is really a really random fun fact about me. What? Still will not throw up. <laughs> You've never thrown up? No, I have. But, like, it's been a very long time. Like, I've had the worst what? hangovers of my life, and I will never let myself puke. That's so, so I had funny. A, I had a big phobia when I was young, and it kind of ended up trickling into a lot of my childhood where I, like, didn't want to go to class because I was scared that a kid would throw up or I wouldn't want to go to a field trip because I was scared someone would get carsick. And it Did just, you go to therapy for this? Oh, yeah. What is it? Where did it come from? I don't know. I think it's because my mom, anytime she would drink too much, she'd get sick or like, and Mm. I witnessed that maybe a little bit of that, but then also like my cousins would get car sick a lot when I was young. So maybe it's just like being surrounded by it more than like any other normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam's like, you were surrounded by a lot of people that pukes. I'm like, I know it's weird. And like, I never wanted to because I was like, this is weird. I don't like it. So you correlated school (laughs) with, with vomiting. Literally, like you actually like had an maybe. allergy to school. I kind of maybe be developed a little bit of a phobia at a young age. I don't know. We're like, we're getting really, really deep here. <laughs> I haven't seen a therapist about this recently. But maybe I, I, 
I could say that it could kind of boil down to that because my dad was actually an educator. And my mom is, you know, she's not like a... She wasn't like a, I don't, she didn't even graduate high school. So I have, you know, but I could have gone either way, right. right? I don't know. So maybe, maybe it had to do a lot with that. Maybe it didn't. Who the hell knows? But I, I've always, because of that, I've always been a little resistant to go to school. And then eventually I got over it, of course. And then I think at one point I was just like, I don't think I want to do this. Then, you know, the, or like, I don't want to, I don't think I want to go through the rest of this the whole life thing, the traditional way. The process, yeah. Yeah. So when you dropped out, did did you know that you wanted to continue down the <clears throat> modeling path or the actress path? Like, what what were you thinking? And, like, did you also have the confidence that you knew that you were going to be able to make it work even right. if you didn't have that degree? No, I didn't have the confidence. I think I, I dropped out because I ended up working in hospitality. And hospitality was very fruitful from a financial standpoint. And Here in New York? Yep. Um, I worked as a waitress at Tao mm. back in its heyday, and I made a really good living doing that. And then I ended up, you know, when I left that job, I ended up at another job that I did bottle waitressing at, and then I ended up bartending. And all these jobs, you know, I was making anywhere from three to six hundred, up to eight hundred dollars a night sometimes. Okay. And you know, when that that's that, that adds <laughs> up, if that becomes your full time job, yeah. that's a, that's a real living that you're making, right? So I became financially stable. I, I got my own apartment. You know, I just became so independent pretty young. And I didn't I didn't want to kind of revert back to having to go to school and letting go of that, like having to make that decision, like financial decision versus maybe a more future mm-hmm. forward decision. I was just, I've always kind of been like in the moment. And so I just kind of stopped going to class and, you know, those like, culminations of like not showing up to mm-hmm. school like we didn't equals equals like <laughs> fail and so that's kind of why I ended up dropping out versus getting kicked out because I knew I was already heading down that path yeah. unfortunately so yeah but fortunately and it wasn't, <laughs> because but for- I got you here sure yeah fortunately unfortunately I don't know and there was a there was a hard period in my life where I definitely felt a little insecure I was like what what did I just do why did I do that like I'm applying to places and they're not getting back to me. This is what were you applying for? Like literally anything. Like I was just trying to get into fashion in some capacity. That's what I wanted to get to. So while you were doing these mm-hmm. hospitality jobs, uh, were you thinking of something at the next step? Like were you thinking of what that next career goal was for you or were you like yeah. very much in the hospitality space? No, I didn't think I was going to end up in the hospitality space. Uh-huh. I, I didn't want to like those hours are very tough on your body and I didn't want to go into management and continue keeping mm-hmm. those hours as part of my, I definitely wanted to be at some point like a normal nine to fiver, but without having that nine to five office pressure. to go into yeah. or the, pre- maybe not the pressure, pressure. I don't mind pressure. I just don't want to. The pressure to just be like confined into these hours just yes. because they're the hours. Yeah. I yeah. hate that too. But I wanted like a traditional normal like schedule, mm-hmm. right? At some point. So I knew that it wasn't like a long-term sustainable option for mm-hmm. me. Um, and all throughout, this was like in my early twenties, I was still acting and modeling. So I, I always had that as kind of like this cushion in a way, but not like a cushion that I felt like was going to catapult me into fame or anything like that. It was more so like, yeah, I know I could get a job here and there. I would get like gigs for, you know, a few thousand dollars every, you know, every now and then. And I was, was like, helpful. that that felt nice. Yeah. Right. And it was enough to kind of keep me in this cycle of just like, okay, I'm not, you know, progressing in my career, but I know I'm not just bartending. Right. And psychologically, if you're just bartending, a lot of times you get kind of down on yourself, like you're not doing anything to really advance yourself forward, you know, for your personal growth. So I at least had that to kind of keep me a little sane. And That's good know, advice because I feel like yeah. a lot of people that are in this rut or stuck or whatever, not that that yeah. was a rut for you because I'm sure it was also exciting, but for some people, they may feel that they're in that rut. But I think that's a really interesting insight to have something that may not be super lucrative, but have a little something that is tying you to another thing. You know what I mean? Not just the thing that you feel like is defining you as X. Mm -hmm. Just have something else that could just put you in a different box. It's Mm -hmm. not just what you're doing day to day to make your money. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess, where was I going with this? Um, That you were doing this and you felt like you had something else to hold on to. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, at one point you, you start thinking about what you could be doing. You start thinking about how to carve a, a, you know, a path for yourself that you may not have ever 
you don't see out there for other people. Like at one point, you know, I was in my early 20s and I was like, blogs weren't really a thing, but like I was very into restaurants as someone that was in hospitality. I was like, all my money was going to food, Mm -hmm. all of it. And I was like, I don't see any like sites other than like a Zagat, right? I don't Mm -hmm. see many sites like reviewing restaurants, especially downtown. Like where are some places that we can go? So there honestly aren't many right now, to be honest, because media is kind of dying. And I feel like- Well, infatuation killed it, right? Infatuation, eater, like four or five of them. Exactly. This was was pre-eater, pre-infatuation. Like when I kind of came up with this and it wasn't anything revolutionary either, but I basically came up with Taste of Style when I was in my- early 20s is like a way to be like, you know, let me have a creative outlet. Which by the way, I don't know if you remember this. That's how we met when you shot Leland at our office. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you used to work there. Yeah. Got it. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. But that's that's how I first met you was literally while you were still doing Taste of Style. Oh God, man. It it feels like like a foreign concept to me, but it's still like so like from, you know, so recent. Um, so you did this as a passion project. I did it as a passion project and it was with a girlfriend of mine. We kind of like did it together, but I ended up doing most of the work. And so it just became mine. And, um, and it was fun. It it was a nice way to kind of at least start kind of writing, right. And, and, And seeing what it'd be like to become some sort of blogger. It was a hideous site. <laughs> I'm sure you could probably still dig it up if you really tried to. It was hideous. It was poorly written. The photography was pretty terrible. But I had a small, like, I, you know, my Facebook followers, my Facebook friends would check it out every now and then. this was pre-Instagram. It's pre-Instagram. Damn. Pre-Instagram, pre-anything. Like, blogs were like, I mean, maybe like the Ruby Neelys of the world That's what were I wanted there. to ask. Like, when you started to see this as like a potential, like even for just yeah. a passion project, who was out there at the time? I wasn't looking at anybody. I okay. didn't know anybody. I, I had This was like idea. completely this from you. completely from me. And I, I called it Taste of Style because I was like, at one point I'll combine fashion because I'm also a fashion girl. And I never really did until fast forward many years later mm-hmm. where when I was talking to Adam and this is past like all my, my – I always talk about like my one career job that I had that really kind of – it was a turning point for me. But this was after that when I fast forward to Taste of Style when I kind of revived it. And I don't talk about the fact that I had it as like this small little thing mm-hmm. that I'm like I've buried deep in the internet. So it I, does exist. It's not chill times. I, I, no, it's definitely – it's not chill times. No, I I don't know how you would find it because it was like a blog I'm gonna, spot. I'm going to do some FBI Maybe. investigations. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Um, I just think it's good so people can see where you started, you know? That's true. Maybe I'll I'll revive it one day. Because people day do I have like the expectation to come, to come out of the gate literally looking like Chill Times, you know? Right. Chill Times or something like Chill House. I'm like, no. Exactly. Chill House, like 2.0 with like 3,200 square feet. Completely different. I didn't, I didn't just open up a business mm-hmm. like that out of nowhere. Like I've definitely experienced a lot of small, smaller, you know, highs and lows of entrepreneurship. But back to that turning point. So when you revived yes. Taste of Style. Yes. And you were mentioning Adam. Yeah. What happened? I think at that point I was like, okay, no one's really doing the fashion and food combination, mm-hmm. right? Uh, referring people to restaurants or recommending people to restaurants, but then also how do you how do you dress when you go? You know, it's a very different lifestyle being in Brooklyn than being on the Upper East Side. And how do you kind of correlate, you know, the different kind of scenes and, and you know, the people that go the to vibe. the the vibe, whatever. So it kind of started like that. And then, you know, the site evolved into more of like a lifestyle site, a little bit of everything. You know, we covered beauty, wellness at one point. I mean, I loved my features. Like it really started off as a restaurant-based site. So we would cover, you know, features on chefs and uh restaurant tours mostly and then it ended up going into like boutique owners and uh designers and you know random creatives which and, this must have been an incredible babes, right? the what's sorry boss babe yeah that was a great series for me um for it, networking for sure networking right and that was a huge huge people always like how did you how did it happen and i'm like i think now that i really think of it it's like i have so much to credit to that or just the features being a features writer right like featuring people and like doing what you're doing right reaching out to people like me getting them on a podcast I did that with you know storytelling through photos and interviews and people were excited you know it was a beautiful site and they were they were featured alongside really great creatives Mm -hmm. people that they kind of deemed as 
people what that they aspire, aspire, yeah. aspire to also. So it was a good lesson in aligning, you know, your network with one another, but then also reaching out to people that inspire you and that you want to meet, right? Exactly. And that's how I really met a lot of people and a lot of women that still support me to this day. So how long were you doing Taste of Style for? Five years, I'd okay. say. Four and a half. And you were still four. doing the hospitality work, modeling, and Taste of Style? No, Taste of Style came later. So okay. I, my last bartending job was right before, or literally, I, the, I got fired from that job the same exact week that my internship like became my full-time job. Okay. What was that job that you got fired from? It was a bartending job. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really shitty, but my most (laughs) lucrative bartending job to this day. And this guy accused me of stealing. It was this whole thing. It was like some consultant that came in and was like acting like they were like, you know, trying to help the business. Meanwhile, they were just screwing over the the employees. It was a blessing, honestly, because that was the first time I ever got fired from a job. And I was like, thank you, because I could never imagine doing this and also becoming a full-time employee. And at the time I was like, you know, I was like thirsty for, for cash. And so I was like, yes, like I'm down to do everything, you know, and I was working myself to the bone. So that was that, that was that transition. And then when I, I, I had that job for about two and a half years, the job that I, you know, my Mm full-time, my first full-time job, career job, Um, And then afterwards, I basically made the transition to become an entrepreneur after that. So I want to talk about a story that I heard you say one time, I think it was on a podcast, that uh, you had a conversation with Adam because you were up for a gig to work at Vogue, which for a fashion girl is obviously like the Mecca. There's nothing better. And I want I want you to kind of tell that story because I just yeah. think it's it's so telling of who you are and why you're at the position that you're in right now. <laughs> so that job, again, I always say I have only ever had one full-time job, right? <laughs> and the full-time job was not, or I say career job, career job. That was not like a traditional job by any means. I was the first hire. I was right there next to the founder of the company throughout everything. I experienced the highs and lows. It was a small, small company, Mm -hmm. and I had my hands on everything. So that's not a traditional internship turn job, right? I was able to pick my own title. I ended up picking something that allowed me to experiment in all areas of business, which was brand and business development. So I was able to, you know, do sales uh, it's a boot camp write, on someone else's dime. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not bad, right? Yeah. I was able to learn how to write proposals and I was also a- able to learn how to like build up a brand, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the optics of a brand and all that. After that job, we parted ways and then I ended up experimenting with a couple of different jobs right, or businesses. I started an agency, hmm. um, an influencer agency before there were influencer agencies. Like being the middleman between the influencer and the brand? A little bit. It was a little – I call it an influencer ag- agency, but it was definitely a little more – a little more intricate than that. It was basically a way for us to utilize a network we already had combined with the relationships we had on the brand side – to basically fill the holes in a lot of these events mm-hmm. and mm. and things like that. So like Adam, it was actually a little bit of Adam's idea paired with like some of my network. Basically, he was a promoter back in the day. <laughs> I love your met. relationship, and that's one of my. It's questions ridiculous. For sure. He's he was a promoter back in the day. Uh, worked for. He wasn't like a douchey promoter. I like to always preface by saying that because a lot of promoters are douches. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry if I'm offending you, but it's true. I've dated. I've dated I don't think promoters are listening to Active Ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends that are actually like ex promoters that are still really good guys, but there are enough out there that you know, kind of keep the reputation going. Yeah. He was just a, he was just a good guy trying to make a, you know, a buck, right? Like while he was finishing school, he went to NYU. Anyways, um, he would always get random, like he, because he worked a strategic group, he became friends with a lot of these people that had like good relationships with these major mm-hmm. brands. And they, they found out that, you know, Adam would work at these bar, uh, rush, like clubs and mm-hmm. like would bring out friends. So they'd be like, Hey, we have an event at so-and-so, this event, Saks, blah, blah, blah. Can you bring out some cool people? So it was basically, mm. in a way, like a glorified promotional agency, but like... That so you'd bring cool bodies to an event. Cool bodies, but we also brought them other perks, you know? So we partnered with brands to basically provide them discounts or obviously invites to cool happenings, mm-hmm. but other fun things like that. So kind of like a membership that was free for, for people that kind of were cool. like in this position of like 
influence, but weren't like, you know, super sought out necessarily. Okay. Cool. Like, I mean, I had no idea that you had this agency. So random. But honestly, know. super helpful for what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. Again, back to relationships, yeah. right? Super important in learning how to communicate with brands and and building those proposals mm-hmm. and pitching creative ideas and experiences and activations and all that. It definitely comes in handy with what we do at Chill House for sure. So when I did that, I also kind of uh, coincidentally started working on Taste of Style and building that up. So I had those two happening at the same time. And then around a year after that, I guess I caught the attention of one of Adam's clients. One of Adam's clients happened to have had a skincare company. This this one of his clients was like he just owned um, like a rum brand. He was helping him with marketing okay. for a rum brand, but he also happened to have a skincare line that was mostly like derm, like a derm based skin. Mm. So not consumer facing. No one would know what it is. Uh, not sexy, nothing, but like well formulated, yeah. right? And they had this one hero product that they like were, you know, really adamant about that no one kind of, they had one kind of ingredient that was groundbreaking and like no one else had in the market. And I got, I was like, okay, this is interesting. And he's like, would you be interested in taking this product and actually rebranding it, repackaging it and, you know, using this formula as a new consumer-facing product. So cool. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. And so it was it was a fun project, but it was so telling in how hard the product-based industry is. It was a little scary, to be honest, because it really put things in perspective as far as moving product, selling it, like just... Oh, so you had to do not just the branding, but the strategy. Everything. I was everything. The, I was like the founder of this mini thing. And yeah, and I was doing everything with no marketing wow. budget. Like, all they did was basically mm-hmm. cover the costs of repackaging and rebranding, and that's it. And, like, so, at this time, you were just operating as a freelancer consultant, yeah. I guess. That was— Well, I was doing my projects, and I also had this. Had this. So you had the agency, Taste of Style, and then Yeah, this. I think at one point the agency started to fizzle out, okay. and then I did Taste of Style in this. I forget the timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I never had, like, three <laughs> going yeah, yeah, at once. Yeah. It was, I wasn't that nuts. But I had, you know, definitely two. I've always had, like, two things going on at once, I'd say. So, I, you know, there was definitely – that was around the time that I got the phone call from my former boss who said, I have a friend that works at Vogue in the marketing – integrated marketing department that's looking for an integrated marketing position. Would you be interested? And that was, you know – at the time that I was like very confident in this product, I was really excited about it. And it felt like it had potential. Like it wasn't like, whoa, you know, it wasn't going to pop off necessarily. I didn't think it was going to be. You believed in it. But I believed in it enough that I was like, I don't, I don't know. Let me, of course, I'm going to explore this opportunity. It's, it's Vogue. <laughs> no one says no to Vogue in the first the shot. <laughs> no. I mean, I, that was like a dream, a, a dream kind of opportunity that, that fell on my lap. And I went back and forth a lot with the the hiring manager and I was asking her all sorts of questions. I'm like, I have this thing, you know, it requires at least part time of my my attention. How much, you know, it's a freelance position, but like, what does that mean? They're like, oh yeah, it's just called freelance, but it's full time. It's in the office. I'm like, shit. Yeah. So I went back and forth a lot and then, you know, in my own head, um, still set the meeting, still set the interview and everything. And on the day of the interview, I had this moment of panic and I turned to my husband and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I should go. Like, I don't, I don't feel good about this because it felt, I don't like wasting people's time. You know, if I go somewhere, it's because I'm really interested in much vogue. Like, you think I'm just going to show up and like act like, yeah, uh, I'm not sure if I should be here. (laughs) I'm not sure. You know, I can never go into an opportunity that big without being a hundred percent sure that I want to accept the job. Right. So that's why I battled so much and I couldn't bring myself to really deciding what was, that was a crossroads moment that I couldn't figure out for myself. And he was, he gave me that one question. That's the question that you're referring to is like, would you rather work for Vogue or would you want to have a product or a company that's featured in Vogue one day? And I was like, that's the, that's the answer, right? It was just so clear at that moment that I was not destined to go work. And now I finally got my Vogue feature 
Oh my God. But this is like, I love this story and I wanted you to tell it so badly (laughs) because it's like such a testament to delayed gratification, which is something that I like want to shout from the rooftops, especially in our age right now where everything is so immediate. But like that is the definition of it. And how much better do you feel about it now? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, at one point I was like, oh, I was No, of course. You know, especially when that product didn't take off at all. Um, that definitely wasn't the product that made it into, <laughs> into Vogue, but, but whatever you got there eventually led me to the, to the product or business that did. So yeah, I mean, it was a, it was I a bucket list dream and it happened for me finally. How did it feel when it happened? When it finally happened? Mm-hmm. I mean, I shared that story with the editor and we like kind of cried together. It was really sweet. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, she already kind of knew the story she was very moved by my whole story in general, and she was a Latina too, which I am so happy that it was a Latina writer that wrote the story too, because it really brings everything kind of full, full circle. circle. Love yeah. that. So, okay, so you had this product and mm-hmm. Taste of Style. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did the idea for Chill House happen? And do you, do you feel like you were still searching for something bigger at that time? Like, it clearly seems to me like you always knew that you wanted to be an entrepreneur um, and work for yourself and kind of dictate how your life looks like. But Dictate how you... my life looks like. I didn't know I had to be an entrepreneur to do <laughs> Oh, that. you didn't. Okay. I didn't know. I Because entrepreneurship is scary and I didn't know that it was necessarily for me, but I definitely knew that I wanted to okay. have my Interesting, because my all those things life. that you were doing were definitely entrepreneurial. True. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I guess at one point I realized that, but not okay. at a young age. I got it. Know. Got it. Yeah. So at what point while you were doing these other things, were you, did the idea for Chill House come and were you looking for something or did it really just come to you? It kind of came to us. Um, so throughout all this, I should say that my husband was opening up bars, mm-hmm. um, and Great bars, successfully <laughs> and like killing it. And I was a part of it and it was a very exciting time, mm-hmm. very pivotal moments of our lives where we were in love, we were becoming quote unquote more successful. I mean, I don't know what. Yeah. How do you would. define success? Who the hell I don't know. Knows? Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like just happiness defines success, but that's another story. <laughs> But it became, we were becoming more adult-like, right? We were opening up businesses. It felt like we were having a very exciting moment in our lives where things were like changing drastically for us. And I was watching that and I was a part of it and it was super exciting. But I think at one point I started to feel really like sad about, not that TTS wasn't fulfilling enough because I don't want to seem ungrateful for everything that um, happened during that time and all the opportunities that it brought on. I just felt like I was destined to have something that was more tangible, like a tangible, physical, either space or product or something that wasn't just digital. There was something about digital that didn't feel like super real to me. And so, and seeing all these spaces kind of go from Literally zero go to a hundred and being brought to life and having kind of like a, a finish, you know, there's something about opening up a space that's like, oh, it's so concrete, literally concrete. It's it's concrete, and you've kind of you've done your job, and now you can kind of see it, hopefully rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I saw with the bars, and that's what I was hoping for one day. But I never saw anything out there in retail that inspired me to really be bold enough to take that risk, right? Shops are closing left and right. Like you know, everyone says retail is dead. But there was always something in me that knew that I was going to end up in beauty again, something. And so I was From always, that project? Just in general. My mom, okay. like growing up, woman, liked it, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think there was always, something always innately in me that felt that I was going to end up back in beauty in some capacity. But I didn't want to force it. And so it definitely was – the story is really that it was a ha, an aha moment mm-hmm. that was kind of also – there were a lot of – not yet red flags, but there were there were definitely clues along the way that this is what was intended for us to to create next. Um, we started realizing just what was missing out there in the space. You know, as a New Yorker, I'm always out and about, and I'm always like going to re- different restaurants and, and hospitality places, and just like experiencing New York. You know, mm-hmm. and I always found that. I never had like a third space that I wanted to hang out at, you know, it was either 
like on a Sunday or a Saturday, it's like brunch and then what? Walk around? What if it's cold out? What if I don't feel like walking around? What's next? You know, do we just go to a bar and drink? Ugh, like I don't want to have to drink every every Saturday afternoon. Like, and like no one goes to each other's apartments. Yeah, no one not does really. that. Any, not really. I mean, not on a Saturday afternoon, right. you know? So I definitely felt not bored by the city, but I was like, something's, something's missing here mm-hmm. for women, especially, right? Men, men are happy to go watch sports at a bar, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted a place that felt like somewhere I could go take care of myself, but I can also just relax and hang out and just have a, a drink or a tea or a wine or something, you know, decompress. And I wasn't seeing it. So I think it was a combination of that plus the realization of specifically of massage and and spas and realizing that there wasn't something in the middle that really financially and, you know, aesthetically spoke to us. Um, and that it's multifaceted, yeah. that you could do all these things in one place under right. one roof. And at the time, there were so many single service places going on. And while those are great, I'm like, I don't want to just do this. I don't want to just do that. I want to do a little bit of everything. And there, I think there's always this fear in in a lot of business owners, and rightfully so. I mean, we were definitely crazy to to launch with three um, categories right off the bat like that. But there's this kind of formula for entrepreneurship with retail that like you should only do one thing. So there were like- Who told you that? I mean, if you go to any VC, they're like, why do you have three things? I'm like, because I wanted it this way, you know, mm-hmm. that because I don't subscribe to the to the formula of never have <laughs> no <laughs> clearly no never have so that's kind of where I approached it I was like I don't want to single service anything I don't want to just do a massage place I want a massage place that also has other things that people can come and visit regularly so that's why we started to talk about nails I'm like Adam's like what do you what else do you do all the time I'm like I get my nails done once a week so that's all that's now creating a reason to come to chill house once a week mm-hmm. and then we're like well, what else? I'm Damn, like, well, you get them done th- once a week. I mean, not always. Okay. And definitely not not always now because I get gels now. But when I Same. just got like, you know, regular polish, I, I would go sometimes once a week. Yeah. And it was my moment of self-care, mm-hmm. right? It was like that thing I did every week to feel better about myself. And mm-hmm. I would bartend too for so long that right. nails just always were trashed. So I'd have to. Yeah. So So he was, was asking you like what you yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Nails. Yeah. yeah, nails. And that was that other thing that again, would drive people back. Mm -hmm. So this idea of retail, what gets people to come back, create a routine around you Mm -hmm. because you need people in order to survive retail business, you need people to come back. You need bodies in and out of your property. And then cafe, of course, that last element, the first indicator of relaxation is that drink in your hand, right? I'm settling into my my experience. I'm settling into that moment. That was a no-brainer for me. And that's how the three kind of started happening. And then it just evolved. Like the Chill House just evolved into a, more of like a lifestyle brand, right? What does it mean? It means taking a, taking time for yourself, right? And not feeling make, like guilty about it. Taking the guilt out of self-care and that practice and making it more accessible and more Can you talk about price and how you figured it out? And also just like on the topic of money, how did you start? Like how did you and Adam kind of identify how much you had to raise and then what was the process of raising? Yeah. The process of finding, figuring out how much to raise. I mean, luckily he had opened up businesses in the past. So he has a, he had a vague, he's my, he's the business plan creator always. I mean, of course, with my help, but he's, you know, former finance. Uh, he went to Stern for business school. So he has that background. Um, and I rely on him a lot for that. You know, having owned bars, we have a vague understanding of real estate, what the rents look like, what your upfront costs for down payments, all that stuff, what that looks like. And then from there, build out costs. So we had a, a, a slight kind of understanding around what that would look like. Um, and then did you raise for a year or how does that? You raise for that plus some money in the bank, you know, for expenditures, like to kind of carry you through some slow, like build up months, right? So mm-hmm. you want to have at least, I mean, depending on what kind of business, a few thousand, like I'd say at least several tens of thousands in the bank, right? That's should be your goal with mm-hmm. any brick and mortar because there is a buildup, a ramp up period. So you will. I Not always everyone... ask people how they raise because I think that it's like for someone who's looking to start yeah, something, no, it's, I think it's important it's to hard. know like if you're doing a brick and mortar, do you raise including people's salaries for six months? 
for, you know what I mean? Like if you know how many nail technicians that you're going to need, right. do you raise knowing that yeah. for that number? Yeah. Okay. That's all in your P&Ls, right? So okay. you know exactly what your monthly budgets should look like. And based on that, you should raise accordingly and again, have buffer to know, you know, what you may or may not if you're going to hit your targets or not, yeah. you may have extra to kind of supplement that. So, you know, part of the business plan process is knowing what your expenses are going to look like every month, knowing mm-hmm. what your payroll is going to look like, knowing what your supplies and uh, all those things are going to look like. Um, so a lot of due diligence has to go into that. Right. A lot of market research. A lot How of, long did this take you? Oh, I mean, the whole thing altogether was actually pretty fast. From idea to launch, it was about 14 months. What? Yeah. That's insane. My husband is crazy. He operates really fast. So he's like, if he's like, let's do this, I'm like, all right, I'm bracing myself. When and I'm you right. pitched, or not pitched, because obviously you guys came up with the idea together, but when you kind of formulated the idea, was he a million percent in? Like, oh, yeah. From the, from the first yeah, time yeah, you said yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, he pushed me to feel confident about this more than I did that to him. I was more so like, I'm so excited. Let's do this. I, I feel like this, this is my project, something I can see all the way through. And he really gives me kind of like the the confidence to to go after it and so invaluable That's yeah amazing. it really is and I don't again I was able to do like taste the style and some of these like smaller businesses I would like on my own like mm-hmm. he was always involved in some capacity but TTS was solely me and even that product daily was kind of yeah. like solely me even though he helped here and there but those were products that those were things that were small in comparison yeah. to this. This is a scary business. Like you are responsible for rent. You're responsible for a lot of salaries. You're responsible for a What payroll. was like the psychological transition? Because I feel like for people that are in small businesses that are kind of in the safe zone, you know, like you can dissolve the, bus- the business in a month mm-hmm. or like you're in a very safe place where you aren't really taking huge risks. What was that like psychological transition transition to then have employees and to then have these like you're saying, these crazy expenditures that... Oh, man. The psychological... I mean, I think a lot of it, a lot of the negative psychological, uh, I guess, up and downs that I faced during that time was then balanced out with the positive. So around the time of launch, you know, you get you get all the press hits, you get all the brand inquiries. It's it's just an exciting time. But at the same time, you're just making sure the business is going to stay afloat. You right. know, we're trying to staff up. People didn't want to work for us. They didn't know who we were. They didn't trust that we were a decent business. It's like, it's a it's this kind of yo-yo effect that people don't really even see behind the scenes that you're going through all these emotions of like actually keeping this business afloat. They just see like, oh my God, it's like an innovative company. It's doing so well. It's like, you don't know. You have no idea. <laughs> But it helped in having that sort of. But I mean, even before then, like pulling the trigger on saying, I'm going to raise money. Like that's oh. a different business yeah, yeah, than yeah. Taste of Style, you know? No, totally. Um, that to me wasn't that scary. Really? I don't know. Yeah, because it's not like we were raising. We were raising a very small amount. We raised 375 I believe, which is like. Yeah. Not a lot. Yeah, <laughs> It was literally just enough to get us open and to pay for our branding company who gave us a nice, sweet little discount, you know, homey discount. Do you discount. think that that was a good number for you guys? Or do you wish that you would have had more? I think we were fine. Okay. I wish we would have had more in the bank. But I think overall, like, I like being scrappy when it comes yeah. to build outs. I never want – I don't think it's needed to start really big right away. Yeah. Um, but because I guess I was a little less scared because for the most part, all even though it was a friends and family round, all the checks were relatively small. So I'm like, I feel confident they'll get paid back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, we'll make it happen, right? Okay. And it wasn't a large en- enough amount for me to really, really scare me completely. Now, you know, as we get bigger and bigger, of course, relative. those checks get bigger. And I'm like, ah, like there is more pressure down the line. But I was really confident in the concept. I thought it was great. I mean, was I confident in that? we had modeled everything perfectly. Maybe not. Like we were going into this kind of blindly. We never operated a cafe or a nail salon or a massage place. So uh, there were very new things for us to kind of embark on. And yeah, there was a lot of trust that had to go into this. Like you had to trust that we will do everything in our capability to make this a successful business, but you don't have any guarantee of that Mm -hmm. really, right? I mean, investment is a gamble no matter what. Right. You can't promise anything at the end of the day. You can promise that you'll do everything you can in your will. But like that's why friends and family is a great place to start because people 
that trust you will trust to give you that money and that believe in you will give you that money because they know that you'll do anything to protect their money. Right. right? So that's how I like to go into investment from a friends and family standpoint. And now like the, you know, the bigger conversations, new conversations with like VCs and, and private equity, like those are totally different combos right. that, you know. How do you feel about those? I feel good about them. We're actually starting a new round right now. Like today's our first Oh, meeting. wow. <laughs> I'm actually going in a couple of hours uh, to Midtown. Well, keep me posted. Yeah, yeah. So you launched Trail House in the Lower East Side, which, mm-hmm. by the way, amazing. I love that space. I was, I was, I think there like the first month. You love the chill me out. The chill me out, but that was that not in that wasn't in the first one. Not right away. No, it was. Oh, but really? it wasn't right away. Oh, okay. No, I'm addicted to the chill me out. I don't think you understand. Like I need to go <laughs> at some point today to get it. It's so freaking good. Yeah. But I'm curious to know, like, how long did you have did you always know that you wanted to have multiple spaces? Or when you opened the Lower East Side one, like were your eyes already set on a different area, or were you really just focused on that one space? We were pretty focused on that one space. I don't think we were like right off the bat, we were like, we're gonna open a million. We wanted to test it. It was definitely a pilot sort of, mm-hmm. or I guess an MVP of sorts um, space. Now that we look back, we definitely kind of propose it as an MVP space, yeah. especially because we've now pivoted that space to yeah. become just face and body. And even that's kind of like, that's a new concept, right? Why did you pivot to face and body only? At the end of the day, the combination of all these services are a lot to manage and operate. Mm-hmm. And we just want to make sure that we're spreading out our resources properly, that we, you know, aren't spreading out our team too thin, that we aren't overworking everybody. That's super important in, mm-hmm. you know, keeping the, the ship afloat. So when we thought about that, you know, the shortcomings of the LES space, we realized we just didn't have enough storage for cafe. The cafe wasn't thriving enough because of the neighborhood, I'd say. Interesting. Um, it's a very sleepy neighborhood from mm-hmm. Monday through Thursday um, during like work hours. It's very, very sleepy. So how do we kind of combat all of the shortcomings and, you know, shift it to something that could then actually be a scalable part of the Chill House brand? Mm-hmm. So that's when we thought about face and body. And, you know, when we introduced face last year, we, it, again, it, we always knew that we wanted to expand on our offerings and become kind of like this full service spa concept. Mm -hmm. The face and body concept really just allows us to simplify future units that we want to enter into new markets. So let's say, I don't know, everyone's like, come to Austin. We're like, we want to come to Austin, but we, it's hard to open up a flagship location in every city. It's just- This is something that is easier to copy paste. Exactly. So face and body. And that's why going back to this kind of formula Mm -hmm. of- Uh, brick-and-mortar entrepreneurs or brick-and-mortar businesses, that's why there's a lot of single service, right? Soul cycle, dry bar, all those kind of, you know, successful, proven to be successful sort of models. There is a formula to that. So yeah, even with face and body now, we're finding that it's a lot easier to manage. It's it's so much smoother to operate. You don't feel the the stress there as much as, you know, this combination of services with different different hires, different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you feel that at flagship you want to shift in that direction too, or do you still want flagship to still have all of those capabilities? Flagship will always have all those capabilities, but we may not have 20 flagships in the U.S. We'll maybe only have a couple. For my listeners, they're going to request. I feel like I want a few. (laughs) They're going (laughs) to request a flagship in Miami for sure. Oh yeah? Are you from Miami? I'm from Miami. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Miami. And there really is no competition in no. that category. Yeah, you're so. right. No, I mean, we get that from every city. You know, it's it's hard because I think people do want the nails. So maybe, well, maybe we'll create something that'll help yeah. scratch Did that Did you get any backlash from removing the nails from Lower East Side? A little bit. People get over it. Though. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not super far, right? Yeah. You can go to Soho, no problem. Right. So I want to talk about your relationship with Adam. Mm-hmm. And are you guys co-owners? Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do you guys balance each other's like what you would find yourself to be better at and what he finds himself to be better at. How do you guys put boundaries also when you come home? Like, are there boundaries? I like, I work with my boyfriend a lot. And like, sometimes I'm like, I want to say, let's stop talking about business. But like, I also really like it. And I'm like, I don't know if that's healthy or not or whatever. I'm <laughs> I'm curious to know how you guys like find that, yeah. that sweet spot for you and like what it's been like over the course of these years from the bars to chill house. Yeah. Um, so 
I guess, how do we differentiate our roles? Well, so I'm the CEO, which is basically, I mean, I don't even know what that entails. <laughs> it's just being the face and really being on top of every facet of the business, mm-hmm. I like to think, and, and really pu- pushing the business forward I, at this phase, right? Yeah. I'm sure I can really um, write my job description when I, right. when I have to at <laughs> a later stage. But um, Adam is more of like our COO. Okay. And so he is responsible for making sure kind of like new business practices roll out and are executed seamlessly. And then I kind of take over for launch, for promotion, for continued execution. I make sure things are kind of maintained properly and that sort of thing. So I'm more like on the brand side, marketing, PR, partnerships, and then ongoing operations and managing the corporate team and then making sure that all of, you know, the, the, the store team is also kind of working together well and, and checking in and that sort of thing and making sure like both ships are running, yeah. you know, afloat. And then how do you guys kind of, do you ever stop Stop talking about? Yeah, we've set boundaries in the past, um, but it's like we do everything together. So when we're relaxing together, we're relaxing together. And then when we're not, we're not. And and it's fine. I think we've just accepted the, what this career entails. And And you're happy with it. Yeah, we're respectful of each other's workload, I'd say. You know, none, neither of us like work in bed at like 1 a.m. though. You know, it's that's not we, – we we don't do that shit anymore. But, you know, sometimes on a Sunday we're on our laptops all day, you know. And right. sometimes on a Saturday we're on our laptops all day and we're always checking in on Slack and email and everything. I mean it literally, literally never stops. Like I'm like looking at my email all day long. And you're like fine with it. Like it, you yeah. do you ever feel like – I'm sure he might feel the same way to you. But do you ever feel like, Adam, like can we just like be? Yeah, all the time. So we've – We've just are honest with each other. If I'm like, I'm not in into this. I'm not in I'm not in the mood to discuss this. Mm-hmm. He'll like respect that and be like, okay, fine. <laughs> okay. But yeah, we're um we've done this long enough that we've just kind of become honest with each other without like getting really mad at each other. What's the best advice you would get for someone who's going into business with their with their partner? Just like study each other, I'd say, and and learn how you guys can bring different skill sets to the table and differentiate your roles. Um, but then also just have patience with each other and treat each other. I'd say this is the hardest thing that I had to learn how to do is treat him like I would an employee and not my husband. That's so hard. (laughs) Right. He's like, can you just treat me like you would treat like, I don't know, Sarah. (laughs) Sarah's like one of our, uh, like longest team members. And yeah. And I'm like, like I have to stop like thinking of you as my family, like, you know, you don't, you have to approach business that way. Unfortunately, (laughs) sometimes you just want to yell at someone. Right. But it's, it's the only thing that'll keep things sane. That's good advice. Yeah. I quickly want to touch on Sophia Amoroso investing Mm -hmm. in Chill House, Mm -hmm. uh, just because I feel like it's such a, it's such a cool full circle moment. I've heard you talk about how she was like one of your biggest inspirations. And I think that people also, like what we were saying earlier, people see that and they're like, oh my God, she, she's killing it. Like this happened overnight, like all this stuff. Like obviously it didn't, you know, <laughs> no. but I'm curious to know how that first happened from you, just like knowing her as girl boss or whatever, to then having that first meeting to then getting to this point with her. Yeah. I forget if I've told her the story, but at one point my, my job, my first job job, right? I always say it that way. I think I've said that I always say it that way at least twice <laughs> this, this podcast. <laughs> She did like a little cute project with us where she had us come in with people that inspire us in a frame. So she's Mm. like, put like three people that inspire you, put them in a frame. And I think mine were like Oprah, uh, Steve Jobs, and Sophia. (laughs) That is so funny. And it it was like very early stage Instagram and I tagged her and she commented like, something here doesn't fit. You know, just jokingly, like she didn't fit into the three. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she she commented back. <laughs> and that was – it's it's just a funny kind of story to tell to bring it back 360. Um, yeah, I've always looked up to her. Um, obviously, I was a shopper, nasty gal shopper, like, in the very early mm-hmm. days. And I kind of watched her grow her business the way that she wanted to, not the way, like, you know, your typical kind of cookie-cutter entrepreneur does. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me because I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this in a way that feels untraditional because right. I don't have a traditional background. I don't have a college education. I don't 
I have like she zero fits. merits, yeah. you know? <laughs> you and have a lot of merits now, but now, I got it. But I at the it. time I had zero and I needed somewhere to start. And so looking to looking up to someone that had zero also um, is very helpful. So yeah, I somehow started starting aligning. I think at one point where things started really shifting and I was like, whoa, oh my God, I'm getting a little closer to like my dream like <laughs> mentor. I got offered through my friend Alyssa who couldn't go to this Netflix trip. There was like a press trip to Girl Boss mm. that I got invited to because of her. She passed it off to me, which was really nice of her. And so I got to go to LA and I got to meet Sophia and interview her and I got to go to the the set and like Chelsea Handler. I got to meet Chelsea. It was like an amazing press trip. It was like one of the most incredible moments of my life. And this was right, I think during the process of starting Chill House. Like I was, it was like very early stage. I Mm -hmm. just like, we're still like working on the business plans and like building out the space. And so I never brought it up to her or anything like that. But I was like, oh my God, I look up to you, blah, blah, blah. Probably doesn't remember me (laughs) at the time because she had a million girls to talk to during that trip. So um, fast forward, like maybe two years later, I I think at some point I realized that she followed me on Instagram. And I was like, what the? Oh at God. some point, I would realize that in the second that it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. It was like, <laughs> but I'm like, wait, maybe, she, maybe she'll unfollow me. Like I didn't yeah. think too deeply into it. I was like, I'm just going to see if she ever comments mm-hmm. or anything. Let's see how this goes. I think the moment, yeah, the moment in which everything changed, <laughs> I was complaining about, this party, this like small party that had booked at Chill House that canceled last minute. I don't know why we didn't have their credit card info or something, but it was basically like throwing away like $800 and I was really upset, whatever. It Mm -hmm. was, it's a lot for us to kind of staff up sometimes for these sort of small parties. And I was really frustrated at, you know, kind of like the whole process. And I aired all my frustrations out on Insta stories and she DMs me. She's like, I love what you're doing. I'm like, I love that she hit me up when I was bitching about my customers. <laughs> You're like, we have something in common. <laughs> I was like, this is exactly who I need in an yeah. advisor. No, it was it was such a surreal moment. And I was like, oh my God, like, hi, I love you. Yeah, let's talk. And so like two months later, um, Adam and I went to LA. We hung out with her at her house in, in, in LA. So surreal. And she's like, have you guys thought about bringing out an advisor? And I was like, yeah, I mean, not really, but we'd love, obviously would love to have you if you're interested. And so, yeah. And then a couple months later, then all worked out and then she invested too. And so, yeah. And she's been a friend and mentor ever since. And it's, it's, it is like that crazy 360 moment where it was like, you know, it's weird to idolize someone like that, that then becomes like, now you're my friend. Right. And it's like, but it's, it's, yeah. you know, it becomes kind of weird to to think of someone that way and then have them do that because I'm like, I don't want her to think I'm creepy in any capacity. <laughs> but like, yeah, she kind of changed my, to maybe that helped change yeah. the trajectory of my and life. I don't a feel like times. that because I'm sure that that's happened with her and advice that times. she's had. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. What has been something that she has brought to the table? It could be like advice wise or yeah. I don't know, maybe like a mental shift wise, like some sort of. I'd shift. Say, I'd say the mental shift was huge for me. Just recognizing that we had like some serious eyeballs on Chill House. That it wasn't just like a like small little New York based mm-hmm. little business. It was bigger than that, and it had more potential. And that kind of set a new tone, a new confidence, a new kind of pep in my step to push forward and make this something bigger. And just relationships. Um, she's been really sure. great at introducing me to all sorts of really incredible people that I feel like one day will be very helpful to have in my back pocket. Amazing. Yeah. That's such an incredible an story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I always like to ask all of my guests, what would you say is your active ingredient, your purpose right now with what you're doing? It doesn't even have to be chill house related, but like, what is it that you wake up in the morning that you're excited to actually do? Or when it's a late night that you're like, I'm cool to do this because X. I think it's just loving your work family and everything you've created because you've created it with people that you really care about and consider more than just employees, I think is a big part of it. So just be excited to go to work, see like my girls, my team, um, that helps, you know, make this all so much more exciting than it could potentially feel like if you're just doing it alone, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then just my, my immediate family, like Adam... It sounds so boring, right? But just people. I think people are 
my biggest active ingredient and those relationships that I hold very dearly. Love that. Rocky. Then, <laughs> Rocky! Well, I also wanted to ask, what is your literal active ingredient, meaning something that you consume or that you do, meditate, walk your dog, whatever yeah. it is that you have to do every single day? Caffeine. I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that everybody's? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's definitely one of mine. And for boring. Sure. But no, you're not boring at true. all. So what's next for Trail House? Where can everyone follow you? What's yeah. what's the deets? Follow me um, at Cindy Ramirez with a Y. I was named after Cindy Lauper, C-Y-N-D-I. Ooh. And you have the Cindy Lauper mole. Does she have a mole? Does she not? No. I'm You're thinking Cindy Crawford. Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> Whom I met too. Another 360 Bowman. Stop. Man. Yeah. Oh, my I'm God. A, I've been obsessed with her forever. That's incredible. Um, and... What's next for Chill House? Like I said, we're fundraising, so a lot of exciting things once we do fundraise. Um, maybe more locations, maybe, maybe some Miami. products. I know about Miami, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I love Miami. I just, I don't know. I haven't, I don't know enough about the market. We'll see. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank this you. was so much fun. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.